Hello, listeners. We're here with the fourth episode of the Benicia Historical Museum Quarantine Camelcast. I hope everyone is keeping safe and healthy in these strange times. Once again, I'm your host, Dean Putong, a rising senior at Yale and a current intern here at the museum. Joining me is my co-host, Elizabeth Duarte, the executive director of the Benicia Historical Museum. How are you today? I'm great, Dean. I'm excited about this new podcast. So am I. But today I want to take a step back from the very large themes we've already covered, the Civil War and Manifest Destiny, these very big themes that I, I honestly believe are extremely important to talk about. But today, let's do something different. Let's talk about the beginnings of our great town of Benicia and one of the important people that played a major role in its history. Well, I like it. I do believe the themes we've discussed in earlier episodes sets us up perfectly for this kind of discussion. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'll admit that even though I grew up in Vallejo and moved to Benicia when I was in 7th or 8th grade, I believe, the local history of this area never stuck out to me. I was never that interested in what I saw as a stereotypical small town with some folk tales about the gold rush or some farms or stuff like that. When I went away to college, though, I think it hit me that it's the small histories of places like Benicia that make the larger histories of California or things like the Civil War possible. Well, you know, I'm going to have to agree with that. The history of this town is intertwined with the story of California. And as we've discussed before, from the expansion west and the Camel Corps to the Civil War to now, California's important role in the history of the United States is undeniable. Yeah, precisely. That's why for this episode, I want to focus on one man in particular, Matthew Turner. In my very recent research into the history of this area, he seemed an extremely interesting person with an amazing streak of success. You might think of when hearing about the self-made men of the 19th century like Rockefeller or Carnegie, and all of his talents and businesses and relevance to Venetia I find hugely important to the story of California as a whole. Plus, I hear we've just finished installing an exhibit on him here at the museum, so it'd be nice to, for everyone to hear about him while we're, we're still not open. Yes, we have. And he is one of my favorites. In fact, he would definitely be one of my wish list dinner party guests. Uh, he has an incredible story. He was born in Geneva, Ohio in 1825 to the owners of a sawmill on Lake Erie. And his father was in the shipbuilding trade and transported supplies like lumber and stone for his business. After observing a ship his father had developed, Turner was inspired to design his very own ship, which was then constructed in 1848. Yeah, that really shocked me how Turner was not much older than I am, and he was able to design a whole ship. But it made more sense when I found out he actually earned his Master Mariner's Certificate to Captain Vessels five years prior, when he was only 18. So it seems like he found a passion and a calling while extremely young, and had the means and willingness to pursue it. Yeah, I know. It's just amazing, right? He, he took command of his first ship, the G.R. Roberts, after which he traveled to California to join the gold rush. Wow, so was this at the height of the gold rush? Was he like a 49er? Yep. The gold rush was in full swing at the time he started panning for gold. How long exactly did he stay here? I know he would move around a lot before eventually settling down here in the Bay, and he also strikes me as a restless and somewhat maybe adventuring spirit, so I can't imagine he spent his early years in one place. No, no, he, he didn't settle in California just then. He left after about three and a half years of mining gold in Calaveras County, uh, where he found a lot of success with his gold panning. 
And so then with the small fortune gold that he made, he bought a schooner named the Toronto in New York. And he used it to ship lumber from Mendocino up north down to San Francisco with his business partner, Richard Thomas Rundle. Yeah, I think it's here I read that his time as a ship captain was particularly eventful. He was a given a gold mountain spyglass, actually, as an official token of appreciation from Queen Victoria herself for saving the lives of British sailors stranded in the Straits of Magellan at the tip of South America. Oh, he was definitely a free spirit. He traveled the world. His business benefited from his willingness to go great distances to trade and to fish. He discovered Pacific codfish waters near eastern Siberia and Alaska. And so then he expanded his fleet of ships, by any number of vessels by 1866. And he replaced the Toronto with the larger Lewis Perry, and he purchased the brig Tamandra to join it. And these commercial fishing operations in the Pacific, I assume he would be willing to sell his goods here in California? Oh, yes. He brought his trade, his products, to San Francisco in particular, because he found a very high demand for his goods and even higher prices. As I understand it, the fortune he made in captaining his fleet gave him the capital necessary to endeavor in his other passions. And as we talked about earlier, that of shipbuilding. So I think we should spend a little time on some of his designs. Well, after all, his history in shipbuilding is what connects Matthew Turner to Venetia, and it might be even a more important part of his life than his history as a ship captain. Yeah, that just blows me away. His time as a young captain exploring the seas and then being awarded by Queen Victoria seems straight out of a movie. Oh, he would be a perfect subject for a Hollywood biopic, right? Yeah, let's talk more about his innovations to ship design. Yes, so the Nautilus which was a new ship he used for his SF Tahiti supply company, and it was served by the Matthew Turner Paculine. It was the first ship which employed a brand new construction. The hull itself was the opposite of what was normal at the time, and I'll read to everyone some excerpts of its design. And I quote, Previously, ship hulls were long in the stern and short in the forward section. Turner reversed these proportions, constructing the Nautilus to be long and sharp forward and full and short on the waterline aft, resulting in a much faster ship, end quote. Now, I'm not much of a naval expert, but I can tell you doing things the exact opposite of what's the standard and finding success takes a different type of person. That is extremely well put. I like that. Yeah, it was not only the hull he changed, he also used a single mast. Other ships used more than one. And he used a large triangular Bermuda sail. And he changed all these specifications on what had been the the norm based on his experience sailing the Pacific. For example, the sail that he started using was one that could be brought down extremely quickly in a squall, which was very important. And, of course, many predicted the ship would not be practical. But the Nautilus turned out to be a great success and resulted in the prototype of the, quote, terminal model, unquote, a sailing ship that proved to outshadow former designs and was generally adopted by the shipbuilding industry. I bet the success in proving everyone wrong gave Turner even more of a drive to pursue his passion. Um, Yeah, I think that's right. In 1875, he opened a shipyard at Hunter's Point in San Francisco with his brother Horatio. Interestingly enough, the next year, he would marry his former partner, Rundle's widow, Ash Bellin. 
So based on his previous record of success, I would hazard a guess that this venture was also a successful one. Well, both the marriage and the shipyard were very successful. And more importantly, his first shipyard gave Turner the resources he needed to construct an even larger facility, forming the Matthew Turner Shipyard in 1882 here in Venetia. And it's here, I believe, that Matthew Turner earned his title as a legendary shipbuilder as he designed and built countless ships. In total, it's reported that Turner was responsible for the construction of 228 seagoing vessels, most built here in Venetia. And this is more than any other single American shipbuilder. One of his many fine creations, I think it's important to mention, is the Galilee, built in 1891. It was one of the ships used on his Tahiti packet line. It carried up to 10 passengers and mail and other supplies. And on its return, it brought with it fruit from the South Pacific to be sold for profit in San Francisco. And what made the ship particularly special? Well, I would say that rather than its passenger or cargo size, the galley's strength was really in its speed. It set a record sailing from California to Tahiti in only 22 days, beating the average 28 days it normally would take. Also, a really interesting story here, in 1905, the galley was chartered by Louis Bauer, who was the first director of the Carnegie Institute's Department of Terrestrial Magnetism. (laughs) That's quite the title. And it was basically chartered to map the magnetic fields across the Pacific Ocean. And in essence, Turner converted the Galilee into a floating observatory to collect information that was vital to maritime navigation and study. I think that perfectly illustrates Turner's genius, taking on his experiences as a ship captain and applying it to his innovations as a shipbuilder. His success, I think, was well-earned, and he did enjoy his success. So later in life, he was a charter member of both the Vallejo Yachting and Boating Club in 1900 and the San Francisco Yacht Club based in Sausalito in 1902. He built some of the most famous and fastest racing yachts in the world, and many of which were built right here in Benicia. I figure Matthew Turner and his ships were vital to the success story of not only California, but of the West Coast in general, and whether that be in trade, transportation, exploration, or even just his trophy-winning yachts, it's incredible learning the role of these great figures, the part they played in Benicia, and just how that history taps into the narrative of this country. So I think this is a great place to end today's episode. Thank you to Miss Duarte for exploring this topic with me. Tune in next week for a discussion on Fort Ross and the story of Concepcion and Rezanov. So you can check the museum website archives online at www.manishahistoricalmuseum.org for podcasts, images, and narratives. And be sure to visit the museum at 2060 Camel Road when it reopens. If you wish, donate online and be sure to like us on Facebook. Remember, the history of California is written in the story of Benicia.